The Lollygaggers podcast might have been on hiatus the past few weeks, but that certainly doesn't mean that Justin's used the time to get any smarter or more prepared. Because in this episode, he finally listens to someone with better tastes and watches The Terror on AMC, while Jeff finally understands the difficulty of being a cult leader and a shrouded aisle. Both Lollygaggers then take the old HBO Max for a test drive with Carnival. Welcome to episode number 93 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. And I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, man? It's going okay. It's good to be back recording. Uh, we haven't, we've been off for a couple of weeks, uh, but we're getting back uh, to some, I don't know, Carnival. I've been sort of, uh, sort of bummed that we haven't, uh, haven't recorded, but like uh, Carnival is a show that we're focusing on later today in this episode. And I'm super excited to talk about it because it's a weird show and I love weird shows, but yeah. Uh, I see that you have been uh, now playing two monthly fee MMOs now, Justin. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't have much to spend money on in my house other than the occasional jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. which I think my wife's getting another one for me today. So I'm mm-hmm. super excited about that because mm-hmm. I finished one last night. Okay. So I thought I would just throw it into a toilet. 30 so bucks. Kinda... 30 bucks. That's that's great. Uh, you know. Well, I will argue that the Final Fantasy one, I haven't paid a single dime for a monthly fee because it's Yet. been like three months. Uh-huh. Yes, but you will so see what happens. At a certain point, over. okay, maybe right. we'll see. I would play with you, uh, but uh, my thirty dollars a month goes towards hosting fees for our uh, our podcast. So sorry, can't do it. Uh, but speaking of the podcast, I hear you are all prepped and geared up and ready to go uh, with like stuff to talk about. So what do you got? Going I on? am. Uh, it's been a while since we talked. I'm glad to be back to this. Um, I'm glad to be talking to my buddy again. Um, and these two, I think, connect directly to you um, because they're two things I think that are kind of close to you and we haven't really talked about. So the first thing I want to talk about is the TV show The Terror. We yeah. kind of talked about it yeah. back and forth and you actually talked about it in one of our earlier episodes, uh, probably somewhere in the teens um, that uh, I call that uh, pre-69 days. Okay, um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, the first, so I, I started watching the first season and it was really good. I, the, the, the slow burn of it, the, the violence was good um, and it really cranks up slowly to get to that type of stuff. Um, some of the stuff was really creepy and then towards the end of the season, it gets, it, it really takes a shift. It goes from like the beginning of the, TV show is all about all right, what's coming after us. Then they kind of solve that issue about halfway through and kind of resolve it maybe about episode eight or so. And then the end of the show just becomes like this survival uh, I, I guess it'd be kind of like um, what's that movie where the plane lands in the mountains and they have to like eat each other and stuff like that. So like it's because there's there's points of like alive you know, is it is that the chilean yeah, alive, soccer yeah, yeah. team or yeah, is yeah. that the ethan hawk one i can't i don't know They're, yeah it's I think, cannibalism i think it's alive this psychosis and crazy stuff that happens towards the end of the show that you're like man this is really rough and dire like it takes a really hard shift towards the end and boy i really hated um 
that one officer I thought it was so that's my only complaint about the first season is why'd they get behind this this douchebag like this crazy person that's the only only concern about that first season is why out of all the guys they pick the the psychopathic kind of follow yeah no no that's that's definitely for sure and so I just was looking it up while you were talking uh so I talked about season one of the terror uh, in episode 69 minus 67. So that's uh, episode two <laughs> of, <like> the, <laughs> of the podcast. This is what I actually talked about season one, which is, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of my favorite shows. Uh, for but the first season was great. I thought the acting was phenomenal by the lead actor, who's uh, the lead actor in Chernobyl. I forget his name. How dare um, you? But uh, he's he's fantastic throughout the entire show. Um, I really liked Mr. Goodfellow too. I thought he was a great character too. Um, uh, is who unfortunately comes to a grim end. Yeah. So just uh, just so everybody knows, uh, Justin's talking about the wonderful, the uh, amazing Jared Harris, uh, who plays uh, Francis Crozier. Like that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And I thought honestly that the guy. I thought it was going to focus around um, the lead captain for the whole series. Uh, He dies very early. um, Mm -hmm. I say episode three or four. Um, He's the guy from, he was in um, Argo and all that stuff. He's in a ton of stuff. Um, I thought it was going to focus around, and it takes a a, a decent ship. So more of what I want to talk about was the terror season two. So I got really onto it and I started the second season. The second season is un. Believable. So basically, it takes place in 1940, 1941. It was like basically the year that Pearl Harbor happened. And this takes place in California, off in these little islands off the coast of California, of, and kind of centered around a Japanese family, um, basically the Nakayamas. And what the story is, is that in this small fishing community, something has occurred that has something going around killing people. And in the, in this time, and I'm sure still to this day, there's a lot of superstition around spirits and ill willed, uh, I guess extra and not terrestrial, but like ghost figures that kind of affect places they're around and they kind of feel like um, that some people on these islands are cursed. And so basically something's going around killing everybody. And it seems to be focused around this character named Chester. Chester is played by Derek Moe, who I thought did a tremendous job in this uh, TV show. Um, and basically. Yeah. I Chester- couldn't, uh, I couldn't disagree with you more about uh, the lead guy. He, I thought was the absolute, uh, the worst. Uh, compared to I else. think honestly the best character in the show is his father I think his father uh, yeah no his father's fantastic everybody on the show uh, I, I absolutely enjoyed uh, but I was not a fan of the lead guy uh, I gotta say like he was there are times when I just felt really annoyed by him but everybody else was uh, absolutely wonderful so basically Chester has a relationship with uh, Luz who's his girlfriend um, at uh, the local university and he gets her pregnant. And this is especially during a time where that type of stuff is very taboo. And she's a Catholic um, a Mexicano uh, woman. Who, and it's very, very 
looked down upon in her family. So he create he goes to a local friend slash medicine woman to come up with some type of abortion technique. And then he feels that because of this, he has cursed him and his family because he's brought ill will onto his family because of this series of events that occurred. So during this time, the Pearl Harbor incident occurs and they get put into internment camps. So this basically mostly spends most of its time within internment camps. Um, there's different things that occur. Um, certain people start working for as like one of the main characters works as a secretary towards the uh, main person watching over the camp. You have some people like his father and a few others because they are not national. They're, they're not born in America. They were immediately taken out to North Dakota and kind of interrogated and tortured to try and figure out if they were um, spies and stuff like that. Um, and during this time when they're on the, in this internment camp, they find that this curse has kind of followed them. These people start going crazy. It's all kind of centered around Chester. And um, it's a super, super slow burn, and it doesn't really get resolved anywhere close to it till the last episode. Um, the show is mostly based around, uh, I guess you could say, grief of a mother, grief of, of, of mistakes, and it's just like a great story. And I don't want to give up any of the twists and turns. Some of the things you can kind of tell about halfway through what's really happening, uh, like what the situation was before they kind of do the big reveal. Um, but it's all based around a mother's loss for a child and, and stuff like that. And it's super, super uh, emotional. And I would say... I. I, I watched the whole thing and I got to the final episode and there's a moment between him and his father in the final episode that I honestly almost cried my eyes out. It was just, it was so poignant and sweet and just heartbreaking. And it's just, it was so, so good. I think the guy who plays his father, uh, Henry, is, is Shingo Usami, was unbelievable. He did a great job of showing you know, the, the stoicism of, of Japanese honor and then also just kind of like him accepting certain things that happened to his family and just there's certain lines that the writers put in for him to say that are just fantastic and beautiful and it's just, it was such a good show. Um, I can't wait for the third one to come out. Um, I've, the minute I got done watching this, I watched it so fast. I watched it like a week and a half, both of the seasons. Um, the minute I, I was like, I got to see if there's something coming out soon. There's, there's supposed to be another one coming out. What I like about it, it they're, they're just full stories. It's just one season of a story, and that's it. Like the first season was these people trying to find the Northwest Passage so they can get a, you know, a, a different trade route to India, right? And then that's completely different story, completely unrelated to this family going through this awful time during – World War II when they're in tournament camps. It's completely different. I just, I, I like that beginning, middle, end story, concise idea of what's going on. And, and I thought it was just, there, especially in the second season, it's very creepy. There's a lot of little creepy moments. So I think the few things I like that they do is like there's a scene going on and you see the ghost behind them, but it's, there's no noise. There's nothing to indicate that it's there. It's just, it's walking behind them. And then a few seconds later, it's gone. You know, it's just kind of, it's little stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that, that sends a little chill down your spine. Like, this guy's being followed. There's something there at all times. 
there was literally times when I was done watching this show where I was in bed or I was like, okay, I'm a little, I got to calm my brain down a little because I would watch this show maybe at one o'clock at night. And <laughs> that was a bad idea. I'd watch it and directly go to bed and I'd be like, okay, I got to calm my brain down a little bit before I fall asleep. It was, it was legitimately creepy and scary. And there's some really gross parts, but it's all kind of like really well put together. So if you haven't seen the terror from Jeff's suggestion um, from episode two, mm-hmm. this is a, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been talking about this watch. show for, for like two years, but that's fine. Yeah. It is a, Justin suddenly watch. discovered it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I I found this new show all my own. Yeah, discovered, mm-hmm. um, but it is tremendous. So I I I, I should have listened to you like sixty episodes. Ago. Yeah, I have better taste than you. So like yeah, you really should just just, just yeah. Uh, so regarding okay. season three, I don't think an announcement has been made. I think they were plotting or talking about doing it, but uh, then with everything that's gone on with production yeah, all things, things um, evolved, yeah, I'm not sure if like anything has been announced specifically yet, but. I know they're in talks like to me, like the blending of historical like of history and horror is just absolutely fantastic. The first one is based on a novel. The second one I don't think is actually based on a novel. I think that's just uh, something that the writers developed uh, on their own. So it wasn't an adaptation uh, They're They're both absolutely, absolutely wonderful shows. I uh, would like to see uh, yeah. something of like a maybe a Ireland you know, uh, eh. European islands type of area. I definitely I wouldn't. Cool. I actually, re- I, I disagree. Like, I feel like we get that a lot. I, th- I feel like Eurocentric uh, horror uh, and Eurocentric history has been something we focus on a lot. One of the things I really liked about the second season is that it focused on a subject that we don't really talk about all that often, which is Japanese internment camps from uh, World War II era. Like the fact that we actually started to mine an aspect of our recent history that we don't really pay attention to it was really great so like to me i can do without like the irish horror or the euro horror i would do something different you know do something off you know off the beaten path uh something that isn't necessarily like commonplace uh that's what i would definitely want so whatever they want to come up with is great i love that they started towards the second half of the season uh of, of season two not only was it about like was it was about like the Japanese internment camp because eventually you know they get out and they explore the story uh, outside of it but it also a lot of Mexican lore uh, was getting involved and I really enjoyed that too yeah. so it was like this blending of these two cultural uh, and kind of these cultural horror horror folklore pieces uh, that really made it uh, a wonderful blend yeah so it's a it's an AMC show check it out if you haven't yet you're dumb dumb like me so yeah watch the terror all right. So speaking of horror, uh, I have been playing a video game that's kind of horror uh, in that it deals with like cults and Cthulhu and Cthulhu S stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so one of our friends actually gifted this to me uh, a few weeks back and I started playing it because it's kind of up my alley. I don't really have time to play uh, like games that cost like a monthly fee anymore but I do have uh, time to play like smaller games that don't have a whole lot of barrier for entry. Like it doesn't take long to learn how to play it. It doesn't like long how it uh, doesn't take long to actually play it or pick it up and learn it. And so Ashley uh, bought me a game called the shrouded Isle. It's from kit Fox games. Uh, this thing came out uh, a couple years back. I want to say 2017, I think is what I'm seeing. Uh, this is a small 
smaller game. It's not some like giant triple A sixty dollar product. Like it's it's a much smaller, more kind of indie style type game, uh, and it's all about managing a cult. So your job in this game is to manage That's a cult. Nice micromanagement. Of yeah, cult. Nice. yeah. So like the 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 art style of the game is is particularly interesting because if you go with like the default like the default color settings it's just this kind of uh yellowish green on yeah i feel like it would make yeah. my eyes explode you can make you can change some settings and you can, it actually looks different like you can have it just be pure black and white and a couple other things too but i went with the the standard uh the standard color uh and i i didn't have any problem with it um now when I say that the game is about managing a cult, I 100% mean that this is all about management simulation. Uh, so this game is about um, you making sure that you're keeping your various cult people happy, but also keeping them like ignorant and in all and keeping them down. So uh, the game takes place on an island, uh, the Shrouded Isle, obviously. Uh, there's five years before the end of the world when Chernobog, your uh, like your kind of big you know, and, and God is going to rise and, you know, the world's going to end that kind of stuff. And so you have that amount of time, those five years to get your crap in order and to keep your, your Island, uh, in, in, in tip top shape. Now, in order to do that, you, you have to keep the five families that are on the Island. Uh, you have to start, you have to manage them. You have to make sure that they, um, don't rebel against you, uh, and that you are constantly listening to them, but also, you know, doing other things as well. So the way the game works is that, uh, there's a couple different phases. Uh, there's one phase that's more like a planning phase. So what you do is you look at this little map, uh, of your Island that has all the different buildings or homes where each of these families locate. Uh, you also have like your own central church area. And then eventually you also get this tower where you can send people who, uh, who are exhibiting signs of, uh, of some sort of, um, abnormality that needs purifying. Uh, and so you go through and whenever you click on a specific home or specific territory on the Island, uh, that's that corresponds to that family, you get to, uh, inquire and learn about the different members. And so like a little family tree will pop up, uh, and every single member of that family tree has usually, uh, like some kind of a vice and a virtue. Uh, the virtue is a positive. Uh, and by positive, I don't necessarily mean like positive in like normal life. I mean like, oh, this person's like really good, you know, at uh, at like burning books or really good at like uh, purifying folks <laughs> and uh, really good at making sure that uh, you're, you're increasing the fervor of these cultists as they move forward into life. So there's a variety of things that are, are meant there. Some of them are fine. Some of them are just like, Hey, they're a singer. Oh, okay. That's cool. Like we can use that to uh, demand like, you know, penitence and stuff or, Oh, this person's like really athletic. Okay. That's cool. We can help them with discipline. You know, like we can make sure that they're good at hitting people and stuff. Uh, so it's really, uh, it's really awful. Uh, but uh, so you go through and as you're, as you're doing this planning phase, you go to each, one of these homes and you have a limited amount of inquiries that you can make because the more inquiries you make, uh, the worse the, uh, like your, your kind of rapport with that particular family will become not only that, but you just have a limited number. 
Uh, so sometimes you only have two for certain families. Some families have one. And then if you get like, if you piss them really off, you might not have any. And the whole reason you want to do these inquiries is because you want to learn about these virtues and vices. Because at the start of the game, most of them you're unsure of. There's rumors about what they're good at and what their vices are. Uh, but there's not necessarily confirmation of some of those things. And you really need to know because uh, later on in the game, you're going to start a- appointing them to specific positions of power where they have to kind of advise you and then you have to start sacrificing folks and you want to make sure you're sacrificing the ones that have really bad vices as opposed to have like really beneficial virtues. Uh, So you go around during this planning phase to each one of the homes uh, and you kind of learn as much as you can about a couple. And then once that planning phase is over, we move into like the seasonal phase. And what that means is that you appoint one specific person from each house to be your advisor. So you have five total advisors. And you have to pick somebody. And then you go to like the season. And so there's, like I said, there's five years, but each of those five years, those big game rounds is broken into four seasons. Uh, And each of those four seasons has like three or four months, depending upon a few variations. And every month you have to like listen to one of the advisors. Like you have to like put one of the advisors to work. And so that's where their vices and their virtues come into play. So like if you have somebody who has like a really bad vice, like they're cowardly or something like that, that's going to give you a minus 30 to like some component of the different meters that you have to worry about. Because in this game, there are a variety of meters. One of one of those meters is ignorance. One of those is fervor. One is penitence. One is discipline. And one is obedience. And they all have like their own like meter. And if you ever go below the minimum of that meter, you could potentially lose the game. Uh, and so you have to make I like that you want to keep ignorance high. Yeah. You want to keep ignorance high. You totally do. It's so, it's so creepy, but yes, you have to keep ignorance high and all sorts of other things. So when you, when you, when you have your advisors do things during that seasonal phase, then they're affecting those meters. Now, some of them, because their vices are, are great, might like like increase obedience, but then, or excuse me, their virtues are great, might increase obedience. So you're like, you're doing a great job with obedience, but then they ask too many questions. So then suddenly the ignorance goes down and people are starting to ask questions and you don't want them to ask questions because again, this is a cult. You're a bad person. This is not, you're not playing a hero. Uh, so you really have to kind of start figuring out like the combinations of it. In addition to that, like when you when you actually assign a specific advisor to do something, that affects the rapport, the reputation that you have with the specific family that they have been appointed from. So you could have all these advisors. You can have one advisor from each family, which you need to have. But then when it comes around to actually listening to them and getting to do something, if you choose to not let them do stuff, that's actually going to hurt your rapport. So you could you could appoint them as an advisor all you want. But if you don't listen to them, that's just going to hurt your hurt your, uh, your your reputation with them. So you have to manage that, too. So now we're managing all these different these different uh, columns like these these attributes, fervor and and obedience and ignorance. But we're also managing reputation of all of these different families, because if you ever if the the reputation of a family ever gets too low, they become rebellious. And if they continue to be rebellious from one season to the next, you lose the game. Uh, So there's all different ways that you basically can lose the game there. So it's this constant give and take. Now, 
that wasn't bad enough. At the end of this seasonal phase, so after like, you know, November, December, January, if we're doing winter or something like that, then you have to make a sacrifice. So one of the advisors that you've had appointed has to be your sacrifice. This is great. And this so it's wonderful. And so you have to figure out who are you going to sacrifice. Now, during the course of the game, you periodically have dreams in which somebody, presumably Chernobog, is communicating with you uh, and they're telling you like one specific uh, attribute that you really have to push for that season. So it's like, I want you to discipline them this year, right? And so now you're now suddenly the the minimum of discipline is much higher than it normally is because you've received a vision in your dreams that you have to be more you, know, you have to be more of a disciplinarian. And so now you have to start focusing on picking advisors that are going to help you do that. But it also tells you who they want you to sacrifice, but it doesn't say their name. All it does is it says a, like a reference to their major vice. So there's three different tiers of, there's like eh, basically three different tiers. There's minus 10, minus 20, and minus 30. And that means when I say minus 10, minus 20, minus 30, that means that's how much it would get taken away from those various fervor, obedience, and, you know, and penitence attributes. And so you're looking effectively most of the time for people who have like a minus 30 vice, but it's got to be a specific one. So like the, the, the dream might say, give me the coward. Right? And now you have to figure out who the coward is. But the problem is, is that there are multiple people in each family and you only have a limited number of inquiries that you can do with each family. And so if you inquire for the wrong person, you might not figure out who the actual coward is and then if you send them off to be an advisor, that's great. You can also learn about them when they're at their, you know, when they're advising you, but it hurts your it hurts your reputation with them if you inquire too much. So it's all about that balancing habit. And so at the end of the season, you have you got it, you gotta sacrifice somebody. It's stressful being a cult leader. I it is. That. It's really hard. And uh you have to yeah, so you have to kill somebody uh, at the end, or excuse me, sacrifice somebody for the greater good. And if you can sacrifice somebody who's got like a major vice, one of those minor thirties, then you're okay. But if you sacrifice somebody who's only got like a minus twenty or minus ten, all of a sudden people get all you know, they get their they get their knickers in a twist and they're really upset. And uh sometimes like the family will rule battle against you. Sometimes it won't have as good of an impact as you want, and over and over and over and over again. Now, the last little, there's two other components I'll talk about. Uh, so, one of the things that you get added with like this free DLC, I can't remember the name of the DLC, but it's free and you get it, it's no problem. They added this sometime after the release of the original release of the game. They add this like tower on the island that you can send people to. And when you send them there, you can. You can basically examine them because, like, as you go to, go around to do your inquiries, the different homes during during like the prep phase, like some of them will start saying that they're acting strangely, and if you're acting strangely, you want to send them to the tower uh, because that's when you can examine them to see if they have some kind of of aberrant behavior that you can purify. And so, over the course of like a season, you could like be examining them in the tower, or you could be purifying in the tower. Now, you can also purify people who don't have aberrant behavior. You can just purify them just for shiggles and hope that that actually benefits their, uh, like some of their vices, and, or excuse me, yeah, benefits their vices or increases their virtues. It also could, you could just flat out kill them. And, and that's bad. And apparently, from what I was reading, like there are certain ways that you can get like alternative endings, like if you manage to to do certain things with certain people in the tower. I don't really know a whole lot about that. Those are like these weird, quirky side endings. Uh, that might that might be able to crop up from time to time. 
Uh, so there's that. And then the last thing is that there's also these random, um, these random encounter moments that pop up. And so it could be something like a longs of, Hey, um, uh, this person from this family, they uh, they were down by the ocean and they saw some weird human fish-like creature uh, swimming around and then they laid an egg on the beach uh, and then they brought the egg back. Like, what do you want us to do with it? And then you have to make a choice. And those stuff, then like the, your choices will crop up later. And so like at one point, someone in like one of the families I think I had was like born strangely. <laughs> like, what do you want to do with them? So eventually I set them free in the ocean because they were like a fish person and like there was like a fish god or some weird nonsense was going on. Uh, but those decisions can ha- also impact like the statistics, right? So like in some of them can in- affect the reputation you have with the family that approached you for that random encounter. Some of them can actually affect the different attributes like fervor and obedience and in discipline and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so lots of different managing going on. However, if you manage to make it through all the years, if you manage to sacrifice stuff, you get like, you know, a happy ending where Chernobog rises uh, and uh, basically overtakes and floods the earth and everything's great. Now, the game is hard. Uh, I've played it a bunch of times at this point, and I've only gotten to the end once. Uh, and that and that was my ending. Chernobog rose and everyone was happy. Yeah. And by happy, I mean, like, you know, the world was ending. Uh, but there's apparently like seven endings I think you can get, some of which are more interesting than the others. So I might keep exploring it. Uh not sure. But anyway, uh, the game is fantastic uh, for especially for like how how small it is, how inexpensive it is. And if you really just kind of like messing around with trying to get these this management and efficiency simulators, but shrouded in this like wonderfully devilish theme, uh, it's really, really fun. Um, the art style I think is really cool, but I can understand, like Justin said, if you don't really like that color scheme, it's okay. There are settings in the game that allow you to sort of minimize a kind of weird, almost like vomit-like color. It's interesting. It just makes me feel like my eyes are getting. Scared. Oh, for sure. Like there's, but you can like make it just basically black and white. Uh, the art is really good, actually. Uh, there's a lot of still art. There's not like a lot of. There's not motion stuff. It's all just you know still images and they're kind of moving around they look great the music is pretty fans fantastic there's a composer i'm going to say his name it's like, i think it's french or belgian it's francois xavier belladou uh hopefully that's like not pretentious and i got it right uh but anyway uh the music in here is pretty fantastic uh so it's got this this mixture of like classic but also like this classical guitar and stuff that goes on and so it's really like you can get in your zen you know like i'm like yeah i'm just running this cult sacrificing these people but i'm feeling good feeling i'm feeling good this feels right so highly recommend the shrouded isle small game but out for a couple of years pretty cheap kit fox games uh, can't uh, can't say uh, enough nice things about it. It's a, it's a perfect type of game for me. It's one that not hard to learn how to play. Uh, it's a little. It's got challenge to it, so it's not just like I'm wasting my time. Just wonder. I, like I should just read a book. Like there's actually challenge, uh, and uh, it manages to to actually present like an interesting story, sort of speak through all those different in- encounters that you come along, and like the constant r- coming back to those is is really 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 nice. So check it out. Uh, fun little video game uh, for your PC or Mac or Switch. I think it's also on Switch. You can check it out there too. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Then continuing our uh, our like culty type uh, theme here, uh, horror type theme going on. Uh, let's talk about our focus for this week. So Justin and I, for a while, we've been looking at like older television shows. We were really focusing on like late 80s, early 90s stuff, but then HBO Max dropped, and I really, really, really 
wanted to go back and watch Carnival. Uh, because Carnival is a television show from the early 2000s, came out in 2003. It's on HBO. Uh, it's created by Daniel Knopf. Uh, and there's a bunch of people that you're going to recognize both acting-wise and actual production rise. Like if you're familiar with Battlestar Galactica, uh, Ron Moore was part of this. Uh, and it's also got, uh, uh, what's it called? Like uh, Howard Klein. Uh, you're going to see some actors like Nick Stahl, uh, who was in the third Terminator movie, and then other things, I think. Uh, Clancy Brown, who you will recognize immediately from a variety of wonderful films. I uh, I always remember him from two places, one of which is Starship Troopers. Uh, he was uh, he was the drill sergeant in Starship Troopers, or he was like the, the main, yeah, I think it's drill sergeant works. And uh, he also was in like Earth 2, uh, which he's was also Mr. Krabs. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in this. Um, so the two of them, uh, you'll see uh, who else? Michael J. Anderson, uh, who plays Samson, who is like the, the leader of the carnival. Uh, he's wonderful. So there's so many great people in this. Now, uh, Clay Duvall, too, by the way, who I always remember from, I think, is it the faculty? I think it's the faculty uh, from like the the late 90s, like where like the 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 high school teachers were getting overtaken by aliens and stuff that's where uh frodo has a hard time with everybody yeah frodo's in that and uh oh poor elijah wood uh so anyway uh so let me get into the premise of this so the premise of this of this is that it's set during the dust it's set during the great depression dust bowl area so we're talking like you know oklahoma texas nebraska that type of area colorado and also uh westward into california so it's set there in the 30s uh the the show primarily follows two storylines, and one of those storylines is the carnival or carnival, like this traveling circus uh, that uh, moves about the, the Midwest, uh, and that's led by Samson, played by Michael J. Anderson, and a variety of other folks. Uh, Adrian Barbeau is like the snake lady, and she's wonderful, and she, I still remember her from Swamp Thing way, way back in the day. Uh, it's got uh, Clay Duvall is one of the uh, with her mother uh, works as like fortune tellers and things like that. Uh, and so there's a variety of amazing, wonderful acts. Uh, now at the beginning of the show, they pick up Nick Stahl's character, Ben Hawkins. And that's really important because Ben Hawkins has this little mystical power that he doesn't really reveal at the very beginning of the show, but slowly becomes uh, obvious as the, as the show progresses. Now, that's one story following the traveling of the carnival from site to site. And almost every episode is a brand new site. It's like a new location that they've gone to uh, all of many of those locations with biblical imagery, right? Cause there's like an episode that's in Damascus. There's an episode uh, that's in Babylon, but we're talking about like Midwestern America, Damascus and Babylon, right? Uh, now the other main story that this follows is the is the story of Clancy Brown's uh, brother, Justin Crow. So brother Justin is a preacher uh, that's in California. Uh, and he he and his sister are uh, are kind of developing and building up their following. Uh, brother Crow tries to create a new uh, a new church uh, in uh, kind of like Chinatown, I guess. I guess it's China. I guess it's like Chinatown of uh, of San Francisco or something like that. Uh, and then that eventually doesn't go well, and so it becomes like his his sort of his following his storyline as he uh, as he gets lost as the failure in the tragedy that befalls his attempted creation of that new church, and then he like kind of finds his calling, and he almost becomes very much a cult leader and we kind of follow his growth uh, throughout the two seasons of carnival. Now 
these two storylines appear entirely separate on the surface uh, because they have nothing really to do with one another other than the themes. Because we're seeing pretty early on that Ben Hawkins, uh, played by Nick Stahl, and Justin Crow, uh, played by Clancy Brown, are intrinsically linked. They are connected somehow, uh, whether they're two sides of the same coin, whether one's evil and one's good, something like that. Uh, and clearly because they're showing up in each other's uh, dreams and stuff like that. And they have visions of one another, like they're connected somehow for some reason. Uh, so most of this, so most of the show, especially in the first season, just follows them going from one place to the next. We get a lot of dealing with the intricacies of running a carnival, the different, uh, the different kind of diplomacy that has to go on between the carnival and the local towns that they're going to. Uh, there's also a lot of infighting within the carnival itself. There's this mysterious management who runs the carnival that uh, that Samson, uh, played by Michael J. Anderson, has to uh, has to listen to, but we never actually see. It's all very strange and peculiar, um, and there's just tons of strange and and supernatural happenings that are that are occurring in the background. Uh, and eventually, it all culminates in at the end of season two, which sadly was the last season, despite it not really finishing completely. Uh, there was some resolution, but not not as much as you would probably want uh, in a showdown uh, in California where the carnival finally makes it to California. So that's kind of the basic overview of this weird, strange, Twin Peaksian-like carnival drama show. So Justin, I'll turn it over to you. What were you how far did you get and what were your impressions? I, I watched the whole damn thing. So how far did you get and what were your impressions? I watched the whole first season. Um and I kind of don't want to disappoint you because I know you're excited to talk about this. I thought just after watching the first season, it was incredibly slow and boring. Um, there's some things that happened in it that were interesting, but it really dragged along. Now, I know you're a fan of the slow burn and watching the terror I, I I enjoyed the slow burns of that, but this was a a turtle's crawl of a show to me. Um, there's just it's, it's, I seemed like there's so many episodes, and I get what they're doing. They're creating these characters, they're creating these storylines. And these kind of mystical things that are happening amongst certain characters in certain situations. But I found it to be terribly boring. Um, I don't have a problem with the actors. I thought everyone did fine. Uh, from Jonesy to Ben, I thought everyone was good. Um, I thought the um, the boss, I forget his name, the... Not the not management, the but the boss. You're talking about Samson? I, yeah, I thought Samson was rough to start, but then he eventually became a much more fun character to kind of like follow and be with. Certain episodes were interesting, like the Babylon episode, and um and and, and certain events were interesting, but as a whole, I just found it to be just boring to me. Um and it just might just be just I don't know. I, I watched. I, I watched them as fast as I could. I watched maybe two episodes a day, um, trying to trying to watch it. But I just found it eventually starting to be kind of like 
a chore because I just didn't find it to be terribly interesting. And I found like the big crux of what was happening between Ben and Justin was obviously it was pretty obvious early on. Like, okay, this guy is a priest and, and you know represents holiness, but he has something evil within him. This guy represents um, the scum of the earth. The you know the the, the lowest common denominator of entertainment, scallywags. These you know these these carnies that are just kind of get by to scrape amongst this dust bowl era and kind of like you know would cheat people out of money and do certain things like the whole um i forget what it was called called burning it down or fireball or something like that where they basically just swindled an entire town to get all their money and just skipped skipped out so that they would not get caught and now he is kind of almost like an angel you know like the juxtaposition of where they are in this world and who they kind of are supernaturally was interesting, but I thought the path for them to get there took entirely too long. I wanted to see them, you know, maybe, you know, for a first season that they would at least interact at some point. And then I just feel like it just took so long for the things to happen to happen of course i didn't watch the second season but the reason why i didn't watch the second season because i felt it just was at a snail's crawl moving forward um and i just couldn't get past my mind that like uh he's from terminator and the um uh the i guess the fortune teller girl i forget her name um clay duval she, yeah, I was like Sophie is her character. Yeah, Sophie. I thought like, oh my god, it's Claire Danes. It's this is a prequel to. It's not. You know, Claire Danes. I know, I know it wasn't, but like, uh, like when I first saw her, I thought it was Claire Danes. I'm like, is this a prequel to Terminator Three? Oh my god! Uh, like the first time I see, it, I was like, oh my god, it's Claire Danes. Uh, but like, you know, I didn't really have a problem with any of the acting and the characters. I think that the, the the push through of the stuff was just kind of like, eh, okay. I thought the convoluted nature of like the I guess you could call it like a, a octagonal, a love, a love octagon was kind of strange and almost like, what? Eh. and it made sense at the end where she's kind of like, Oh, you two screwed me over. So I'm screwing you over type of thing. But at the time when it was happening, oh, I was like, okay. none of this makes any sense. This is kind of like, yeah, what? there were, there are a lot of like, so Jonesy and Sophie played by Clay Duval, the two of them had possibly, they were, they were, sort of seen as potentially a love interest and then that didn't really work out and then a couple other people popped up here and there uh but yeah like that there was some of that going on a lot of that kind of uh who was going to shack up with who type of thing uh it just seemed kind of a little bit at that particular point in the show for me it seemed a little too soap opery and there wasn't enough stuff really going on it was just like they're going from town to town swindling people and then there's all this love stuff going on it was just kind of like Eh, I, I, it just really wasn't I really wasn't super behind it um, and so I, it was just kind of, I had like a, a lukewarm uh, I guess response to the show Yeah. so I'm sure yours is different though uh, well honestly like my initial impressions were really great like I enjoyed the first season uh, quite a bit where I my complaints to the, sh- the show are and then there and I do have some uh, are mainly with the second season. And I definitely feel you when you talk about the idea of pacing. 
Uh, one of the things I said to my wife is like, I'm glad I'm watching it now. There is no way I could do this week to week. Like the show. If it was week to week, I would have dropped off episode three. Now, the thing Absolutely. is, is like this is it's it's a little different. Like this is 2003. Like, you know, I, we've watched a we've watched other serial serial shows uh, that had a continuing, you know, continuing narrative from week to week. And we are now in an age in which most of the time we binge, right? We have Netflix, we have, you know, Amazon Prime Video, we have Hulu. So we're able and just basic on-demand networks now where we can not have to do that anymore. And so we're able to consume things at the pace in which we want to consume them. That wasn't the case in 2003 necessarily. Uh, I feel like the the pace of the show was, it was, was slow, but I do... I do like slow burns and I'm always of the mind that this is going somewhere. Like I always like kind of trust the writers and I trust the creators that eventually they're getting somewhere with it. The problem I had was that as we were getting there and we were rapidly getting there in the se- second season, it, I felt like the, the expediency with which we accelerated to the end of season two, I don't know if that was, affected by potentially learning that they might be getting canceled or not. I'm not really sure, uh, but it just, it felt actually uh, uh, too fast to the point where we went slow and plotting. And then we moved over to like this really quick pace where suddenly everyone's on board with each other. And like, there was complete 180 of character behavior and that was yeah. kind of part of my thought process where I'm like, okay, this well, is- you didn't see the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, so well, like- but, but like the thing is I'm saying is like, there's two seasons here and with there being two seasons, I didn't know if it was canceled or it was canceled. It takes a quick yeah. Google search to look that up, though, Justin. Yeah, but like you know, Rome was two seasons because it was planned to be one season. HBO likes to do like these short run shows sometimes. Well, no, that's and actually like, not so that both of those shows got canceled uh, be, for, for different reasons. Rome was production costs, and Carnival had to do with the fact that it just started to dip down in its ratings. Back in the early 2000s, HBO was mainly just doing one season one season agreements. It didn't have like longer season agreements like it did with like Game of Thrones and some of the other more modern shows that we have now. So like this show was canceled. Like it's very it was very clearly canceled. That's that going in we as people doing a podcast about television, we should know that, right? We should know that going in. So like my issue however was that like I don't think like there was a good reason for it to go as slow as it went. Like I just don't feel like when I'm when I'm looking at it, like slow burns are sometimes incredibly necessary. Like if you're kind of slowly kind of building up in you mentioned the terror, the idea of like creating this this fear, right? Like over the course of like 10 episodes, like let's slowly build the terror, 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 terror until the very end when you know we kind of get resolution for it. Like this, it felt meandering, right? It felt like it was just like taking it was taking more time than it needed to do so. And then by the time it finally realized, oh, wait, we should move a little bit faster, it was too late. Like, now it's like, now we're rushing, and now it doesn't really make sense. On the one hand, I really like the fact that, like, they spent a lot of time in the carnival, and we were meeting different characters and stuff like that. Uh, but on the other hand, I felt like there were too many characters, and we were trying to delve too many, too deeply into too many of them, to the point where, like, we were getting into those things, like Justin mentioned, where, like, this, like... I mean, we have a show that's about the good and evil, right? The very beginning of the first episode, Michael J. Anderson pops on the screen and says, into each creature, or something like that, or maybe this is the tagline, into each generation is is born a creature of light and a creature of darkness, right? We're talking about light and darkness, and I'm busy watching, like, 
like trivial like love stories that don't really make any sense and like the weaving in and out of them just becomes kind of silly and like it just feels like a waste of time when we have bigger considerations going on now justin mentioned like generally liking most of the actors stuff like that like I agree, but I couldn't stand Nick Stahl's character of Ben Ben Hawkins. I, I also couldn't oh. stand the bearded lady. I wanted. Oh, I wanted I'll get to her too. Screen as fast as possible. The problem with oh the the God. problem with the bearded lady is that she was quite literally there just to be an irritant. Like that's that's her role, yeah. and she There's did no it other so well. Her character to just be that's like, it. I'm I'm super cool, and you're a bunch of losers, and I'm just like shut up. I shut up. I agree. No, I agree. Like I had, uh, she was one of my least favorite characters on the show. I had problems with Ben Hawkins for a while just simply because he was just so freaking unlikable. And there were so many times where he yeah. would get in scenes where he would just like, it was just him wandering away. Like, and why the, are we having so many, this scene if nothing's going to come from it? Stop yeah, showing us scenes where nothing happens. There's so many times where he's like, I think there's maybe five times in the first season. Like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, exactly. I, I exactly it. I what I'm talking about. Get oh, you my don't wanna, God. That, that's where I felt like, man, this is really stretching. Maybe about episode three or four. He maybe wants to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, talk about bit. it with somebody. Exactly. Yeah, like, move something. it on. Otherwise, don't show us that scene. Like, don't give us a scene where somebody's like, hey, you want to talk about what's bothering you? No, I don't. And then let's have that scene Walk go away. on for seven minutes yeah. where nothing actually happens. And then he ultimately walks away. And the amount of times that that happened was way too high. And it got and even super like frustrating. The first time you think he really wants to finally, like, get down and, you know, down with it. And, you know, because he ends up with a uh, caller Swamp Thing Lady. He ends up with Swamp Thing later. You're like, okay, there's here's some progression. Immediately, immediately, 180 turn it's like, around. I don't want to talk about it. Like, just come on, come yeah. on. Yeah, and it was it was so frustrating how it was just constantly stop, 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 stop. I just like there's I, I sometimes I just feel like cool. You have all this grand and wonderful mythology that you want to explore. You have all sorts of these cool little stories that you're like, just get to them, just get to them. Like, stop saving your stuff for season seven. Like. I, it, it was just fascinating to me at how frustrating I got at certain aspects of the show, despite adoring other aspects of the show. Like there are some parts of the show I absolutely adored. Now, I thought the Babylon episode was tremendous. The Babylon episode hurt. The ending of the Babylon. So Babylon, the episode of Babylon is is relatively early in the show. It's within the first four or five episodes, something like that. So like they go to a town where they're not supposed to really go to. Something happened in the past with uh, with a previous member of the carnival, and it happened at Babylon. And so no one wants to go back there anymore. But yet management, this mysterious voice coming from a trailer that Samson listens to and does whatever they say, says, we got to go to Babylon. And they go to Babylon, and they go there, and there's no women anywhere. And when they wander around the town, it's like it, there's no one there. And then all of a sudden... And at night, people show up, like tons and tons and tons of men just show up. It's a creepy and brutal episode where one of the members of the carnival dies, and it's uh, one of the females in the the carnival dies. And at the very end, that last image we see of like her ghost appearing like in the window where all these other ghosts, because everybody in Babylon is basically dead and, and stuck there. They 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 grab her by the neck and pull her back, and it's just like, oh my god, this poor woman is now dead. Her soul is trapped in Babylon with like a hundred awful, 
awful male human beings. And I just, oh my God, like I had to get up and walk away. I just, I just thought like if they had more stuff like that, not so much like a city of the week, but just kind of like world building of like, okay, we're in a world where ghosts exists. Yeah. Right. We get that. Or, you know, it's not just all hallucinations by Ben or whatever. Like there's something more to this world we're in, but it just seemed like, okay, we, we had this really cool, rough episode and then it goes to love octagon for like three or right four well episodes. i mean i'll say this one of the things i thought the show did well and one of the things i liked about it it's just showing just how awful life was and how downtrodden oh yeah they, 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 they take no like fan like, the dust bowl was a terrible time the depression was awful i These people yeah. are just it's depressing anything they possibly can to just survive it's it's the the brutality of it the production quality of it i i adore it so like my other issue is like and I, and this is this is hard for me to say because i'm a clancy brown fan is that i didn't like i didn't like his character i just felt like he was his you ever watch a show or a movie where like the villain is obviously the villain he delivers lines yeah, ways he's just, he's just that are obviously the villains and and like and also too like like we were talking about his arc, much like Ben's, is just stretched so it, far. It takes a while for his to get going. His his does, yeah, like his. Hmm. I think it's a little bit more well formed because you see at the beginning he's trying to be a good man. There were, there's something within him that is that's inherently evil that he can't control. Right? There were scenes from multiple episodes with the brother Justin stuff where I just thought to myself, why is this here? Does this actually propel his story forward? Or are you just reminding us that, oh yeah, that's right. There's this other story that you have to pay attention to from time to time. Much yeah, like some I of exactly yeah. like that, like, Hey, remember. Yeah. Remember. Don't forget. Don't forget that this is going on over here. But I'm like, okay, cool. Did you progress it with this at all? No. Oh, you didn't. You just wanted to let us know it was there. And, and that's kind of how I felt. Now, I, I do feel like underneath it all, I like the story that's happening. I just, I, I just needed, I just need some nip and tucking going on. Like there, like when you, when you, when you throw a scene out there where nothing happens, when there's no progress, where, where everything at the beginning of that scene, like, like the characters' viewpoints towards each other, characters' desires, what they want to do, their willingness to open up. If that's at a certain point at the beginning of a scene. And then the scene happens, and then they're in literally the exact same spot they were at the end of the scene. What's the point of the scene? Like, what is the point of the scene if not to propel something forward? If the scene's not changing or revealing character in some way or advancing plot, I'm basically paraphrasing Vonnegut here. What's the point of the scene? And there were so many of those scenes throughout the course of Carnival. I feel like a lot of shows now... You have like let's say let's just use terror. I know it's tough to compare. I don't. I don't think terror is fair. I don't think terror is a fair comparison because terror is an anthology. It's it's an anthology show. Sure, it's got a beginning, middle, and and end. And any any TV show that's ongoing like that. There's some shows nowadays that I watch where I'm like, if I miss a single, you know, like sentence of dialogue, I've missed out on something in this show. There's a lot of stuff in this show where it's like, if I miss entire scenes or entire episodes. 
really nothing has changed. Like Ben's still kind of like, it's strange to say that. And it's strange to say that because this doesn't seem like the type of show that that should be. This is a show that's talking that 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 has comparisons to things like, uh, I already mentioned it, Twin Peaks. It has comparisons to things like Lost because Lost was immediately when I started watching, I'm like, is this a David Fincher show? Like, well, I mean, Michael J. Anderson is, is like the first thing you see in this. And it's like one of the first things you see in like Twin Peaks. Yeah. So like, so yeah, you know, he's the guy who talks backwards. Uh, so like, so you, like, it's amazing to think that, but there are times where I just feel like there was no progress. And, and I all, and like, while some episodes like the Babylon one, which was, ah, uh, I think independently you can watch that episode and feel like something happened and it impacted the characters in the show and changed them in some way. Fundamentally, there were other episodes where I don't think that's true. And that's fascinating to me that they would do something like that. in a show that's kind of serial. I don't know. It felt like to me, like they had some really cool, big ideas, but they were just being, I don't know. They were too withholding of them. And it's not about complexity. Like I'm all for complex mythologies, but it's just like move the story forward, change the characters, move the story forward, change the characters. If you're not doing that with each scene and with each episode, like what, what are you doing with it? Like you're just spinning wheels. And there were plenty of episodes and there were plenty of scenes where it felt like they were spinning wheels. Like then there were certain characters that, you know, Justin already mentioned that are just annoying. Like I, I, I get it. Like they're supposed to be an irritant. They're supposed to be a foil, but like if they're not also interesting at the same time, then they just become the base of what they are, which is an irritation. Yeah. Like, like, like let's have her be annoying, but let's like, she's not the only one. The, but the like, times yeah. that she, maybe the times that she's with, uh, Luds, maybe yeah, the professor be like, uh, a person that is, you know, relatable or good right not just a an annoying person at all times like when she's with luds you can see that oh they truly love each other and they're there for each other no, they don't. Like you know i don't so, think they but like, do yeah the time I that they know. are like they, they don't they don't show that like like it's the magneto thing like don't be a dick to be a dick have a uh, have a a, a yeah. motivation that you believe that you are correct because of of reasons that could kind of be like you know what you're kind of right but she's just a dick to be a dick so like there are like I mean looking at some of the characters like there are characters I wish they would have explored further like and then there are characters I wish would have gone away more <laughs> if we just mentioned some like there then there was others that like I, I thought they stayed with too long I, I definitely agree that this whole like uh, maybe it's just I just don't like the concept of love triangles or quadrangles or whatever geometric shape that you want to have them like they're just silly and they just kind of waste my time there was a lot of sides to this one and like and and it just wasn't all that interesting and. But there was stuff that I really liked. There was stuff like Sophie by Clay Duvall. I loved her storyline with her mother because her mother is, she doesn't speak. She can't move. She's she's conscious and she communicates only with Sophie in her mind. And they do like fortune telling together. And it's like this horrible, like, and I, this is a horrible thing to say, but like, it's an anchor for her. And like, she has this desire to like leave and there are times in which she almost does but her mother and she has to watch her mother. She feels an obligation to doing it. And like her, that storyline and, 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 and Sophie, I think are fascinating. And the problem is that in season two, like it doesn't, I mean, like stuff happens, the changes. And then there's like a good four or five episodes where it's like, I don't understand how we got entirely from one place to the next. Right. And then other characters I think are only lightly introduced or or aren't explored enough like samson for instance i could learn i could have loved to learn more about him but 
he's usually just there to kind of be the narrator of a childhood, a a childhood play. Glimpse, small glimpse. They showed a picture of him as a member of the carnival previously. Yeah. There was very small glimpse. I'm like, okay, let's kind of yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's a very, it was a very, I found it to be a very frustrating experience because I had, I had pretty high hopes for it and it didn't meet all of them. And maybe it's an unfair expectation uh, that I set for it. Uh, But I also think it's kind of unfair that it ended early, you know, like if this show wasn't canceled and it did go for five seasons or however long they wanted it to be. And it did, it was able to plot out the massively intricate storyline in mythology that they wanted to have, then maybe I think differently of it because I see what, what came from it. But like, ultimately I can see why it was canceled. Like I entirely get why this was canceled. Like it was, it it takes, it was slow and it was meandering. It wasn't overly complex, but it definitely was resistant to give you things. And it felt like, as a, as an audience, I always get I always I'm am skeptical of like any kind of media, whether it's movies or TV or a book or uh, playing a role playing game. If you're not giving me the information, like why not? Like what's 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 the benefit of you not giving me things? And I get everyone has to have their secrets, but there are times when I just feel like just get the hell on with it. And maybe, maybe this show should have only been three seasons long and you should have plotted it out that way a little bit better. Maybe you didn't need 30 characters. Maybe you only needed 20, you know, like I just, I don't know. It's frustrating. I still liked it. Uh, but by the end, by the, cause, and we did like sort of Justin with Justin did watch two or three episodes a night for effectively two weeks. And by the end of it, it felt good to be done. Like I needed to be done with it. Uh, and I got, I found myself in the second season, especially towards the end, getting really, really frustrated. Now I'll say, I thought Ben Hawkins got way better in the second season, like way better, uh, when, because there was progress on his story and he wasn't the exact same character from start to finish. Like the Arnold showed up and he was, he was getting fixed up at the vet. Is that when he got better? Basically, yeah. And there is this. Oh man, dude! There's this awesome storyline where he basically met his cousins, and like he comes from like he comes from a family that founded the Ku Klux Klan. Like, talk about starting as like a, like he's the bad guy family, but there's good coming from it. Whereas the other side is, you know, the good on the surface trying to help society with Brother Justin, but is ultimately evil. Like the the you know the conflicts are interesting there, but I don't know. Uh, but for me, it's a good show, but a frustrating show. And I, I feel like it's it's also it's also a good lesson to some degree for shows that want to do something like this. And uh, I don't know, just don't don't hold back your good ideas for season five when you don't know if season five is going to come. Like, that's just how I feel. So uh, and yeah, and Justin already said he's fairly lukewarm on it, too. So. I think it's worth watching, but space it out. Take your time. Uh, it's definitely a cool show with some cool imagery and a great setting. Uh, and honestly, some some pretty good performances uh, and some some good stuff. But there's just it's so inconsistent, uh, I felt. Uh, so that's Carnival. You can get it on HBO Max, uh, which is the new uh, the new demand on demand stuff in town. 
Uh, and that's about it for this episode. So Justin and I are going to close it down. If you like what you're hearing, check us out on uh, our website, thelollygaggers.com. Uh, check us on on Twitter. I'm at, uh, what the hell am I at? I'm at lollygaggerco. Justin's at Bias Justin. If you have ideas for other older shows uh, from like the 80s, 90s, or even the early aughts that Justin and I should take a look at uh, as we continue our look back at some old stuff, uh, please, you know, drop us an idea. Unless it's Sequest. No, I'm not watching Sequest. That that show's trash. Uh, and uh, let's see. Justin, I got one little question for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. If you were a member of a of a carnival show, circus act, if you were a uh, a geek freak, so to speak, uh, what uh, what would you be? Um, I would be the incredible puzzler where I would sit and do puzzles. That's awful. I would do, um, you know, I, I feel like I did identify with the strong man very much, both with physical attribute and mental <laughs> attribute. You're the worst. So I feel like I would be somewhere. I'd be the strong man. I mean, if he can do it, I can do it. So yeah, strong man. Sort of be such a disappointing answer, but we haven't recorded in like two weeks. So he's kind of rusty. So yeah. Forget off all dust. I'm sorry. Forget. Sorry, 